0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, it's a privilege to be here and have a But let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get uh, we'll get started. Father, thank you for this morning. God, we um, come before you in your in your throne this morning. God, we thank you for the mercies you've already shown us by putting breath in our lungs for another day. And Lord, we pray we could return that breath back to you in praise uh, and worship, and uh, worshiping you and uh, keeping our flesh into submission as we sit and focus on your word and uh, that you've given us for today. Father, I pray for uh, myself that you would help me rightfully divide the word, that you would not allow um, my sinful nature and my frailty and my deficiencies to tarnish your beautiful message of salvation. Pray, God, that you would uh, send this message to the hearts of your people this morning with the same Accuracy and ferocity that you sent the storm after Jonah, Father, that it would hit its target perfectly and change hearts, turn minds uh, and hearts back to you. We thank you, and we praise you in the name of Jesus, Amen. 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 All right, so today it's uh, the title of the message today I, I put together it's called Hurts So Good, and um, it's it's going to be um, it might get a little dicey in here, so make sure you have enough room for your toes to move and um. In the climate of the modern-day Christianity in America here, um, it's uh, not always a a uh, welcomed message. But uh, how many outdoorsmen in here? Any outdoorsmen here? Any some? Um, When I have time, and this is killing me, standing still. So (laughs) forgive me if I look a little uncomfortable. I'm used to moving around. But uh, when I have time, I enjoy fishing. I don't know if any of you guys enjoy taking advantage of. Fishing and so forth Uh, a remote stream or on a farm pond out of the way off the beaten path And you can really take in God's glory and so forth and those of you that have have spent time around the water um, You know the value of a good pair of sunglasses Um, You can buy the five dollar job at Walmart, and it'll get the job done It'll take the sun down off your eyes and maybe keep you from getting a headache But uh, if you really want an advantage, uh, it's worth the extra money to get a pair that are polarized because uh, the polarized not only helps with the glare of the sun, but it actually cuts off the glare of the water. And you can even actually see into the water. Uh, it can be a, a great advantage. So what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? Well, like that scenario, um, something comes to mind, something more eternally. Uh, it's important. It's your salvation. There is a way, Scripture tells us, it leads to Christ. And there is a way that leads to destruction. And like the cheaper sunglasses, the wrong way Of thinking about salvation the wrong way uh, of doing that um it's it uh it it mimics uh salvation it mimics a way to repentance it mimics a way to god however it is a cheap knockoff and this this particular cheap knockoff has to do with your eternity so so it's a very important thing and 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 friends uh, like i tell some folks um eternity is a long time to be wrong so, 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 so keep that in mind as we go. Our text for today that we are going to uh, look at is 2 Corinthians 7, uh, verses 10 through 11. So if you want to take a minute to, to turn there, when you get there, say amen. If you're not there, say I need Bible tabs. <laughs> I'm reading from the uh, English Standard Version. Um, This is probably one of my favorite uh, translations because it has the uh, literal translation, and it is very accurate. Uh, uh, So I would encourage you, if you haven't checked out the uh, ESV, as we call it, uh, it's it's a very good translation. It's very easy to read. It's very accurate, and it's honest and literal to the original scriptures and manuscripts. So um, without further ado, let's, let's read that. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness you're clever or to clear yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. Friends, we're going to look through this piece by piece here and what the Apostle Paul is, is writing here to the Corinthians. Uh, the, the first piece I want to draw your attention to is, is uh, focuses and, and begins this and starts to peel back this uh, description of godly grief. That's why I've entitled this message, It Hurts So Good. Uh, so for godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. So what is godly grief? I don't know if you've ever looked through this passage and thought about it, but what is godly grief? Is it, is it a moment of uh, being uncomfortable? Is it um, an inconvenience? Uh, or is it a tearful or uncomfortable moment um, just as you step past uh, life here on earth on, onto heaven? But godly grief is just that, the grief is sorrow. It's a realization that comes after the faithful preaching of the gospel of Christ to who we truly are. It's a true vision of ourselves in the mirror of the wretched sinners that we are and what we deserve in our relationship to a righteous, holy, majestic, true God. God uh, up above and and, and just you can turn there if you want I I want to read real uh, real quick from Isaiah 6 1 through 7 because I want to show you something here regarding kind of reflecting godly grief Um, Isaiah 6 1 through 7 says in in that that year uh, that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple above him stood a seraphim each had six wings with two he covered his face with two he covered his feet And with two he flew. And one called another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Here we have the Lord's prophet is a mouthpiece of God. The Lord's prophet, he speaks and he admits in the revelation of this attribute of God being holy, holy, holy. In today's modern day church, we hear the soft gospel that God is love, 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 or mercy, 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 or, or this and that. And those are true attributes of God. However, the one thing and the only attribute you see stated like this in scripture is God is holy, holy, holy. Holy. And when we see that, in light of that holiness and that truth about who God is, we see God's prophet. We see the one who God spoke literally to to to, to proclaim his word. We see him chosen by God admit of his uncleanliness. uncleanness. And what's his response? What's what happens? The seraphim takes the, the coal, the hot coal, and touches his lips. Friends, I believe this 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 shows something about godly grief. And that godly grief, when you come to faith in in, in Christ, when you are born again, and your heart is, as the Bible states, regenerated, and you truly come to faith in Christ, there will be pain, and there will be uncomfortableness, there will be grief and the reason why is because when you live in this world this world does not offend you this world does not pull at you because you're in the world and you're of the world and you're drinking down things of the world and you're desiring things of the world but when you come to Christ. And you truly come to Christ and you confess Him as Savior and you put your faith and trust in Him and you turn, you repent from your sin. And God starts to begin a new work in Ezekiel 33. It says He takes your heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh. And that heart is referring to a, uh, the control center, the control center of you. So you begin to get new affections and so forth. And so when that happens and God begins to break things off of you, It is a painful moment. It can be and often is a painful moment. And so with this godly grief that we see that is necessary. Now notice the word I said, necessary. It's not godly grief is optional. And you may feel broken when God calls you. And you may feel upset when you have to leave things from this world. And you may not like giving up certain things. No, godly grief is necessary and it leads to salvation. And it, it produces repentance. The word, the word of God says that godly grief produces repentance. Now this is a key because when it comes to repentance, there are two things in regards to salvation that repentance is, is, is key to. The first is a way forward. And the second part of that is evidence of of your salvation. Uh, Most modern translations use the words there. It says leads in between repentance and salvation. But um, the, the older scriptures don't. But they understand that repentance is a part of salvation. Now, as a way to salvation, a true Christian will repent of his sin because of this godly grief. Because God reveals your sin nature. God reveals your sin deed, that, that, that when, you, when you come to faith, when you repent and put your faith and trust in Christ, it's not, repentance is not just to change your mind. And too many times today, we, it, it's been taught from the pulpit that repentance is just you change your mind about sin. It's not just, okay, I don't want to do this sin today, and you move on with your life. A repentance is, is, is a change. We see the greatest example and illustration of repentance anywhere in Scripture is on the road to Damascus where Paul is on his way to slaughter more Christians and arrange that. And God strikes him down, he's converted. And he goes from going to kill more Christians, a complete 180. And goes not only to preach Christ and to suffer for preaching Christ, but to write most of the books in in the New Testament. That, my friends, is repentance. It, it, it's, it's repentance. We see that, that he went from persecuting to preaching Christ. Now, that is a means to salvation. Now, remember, when Jesus started his ministry in Mark 1:15, the very first thing, when he, the very first sermon when he came out, he says, Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now repent and believe in the gospel. Some people say, Well, I, I found Jesus, and I, my life, I've done a 360. Well, if you did a 360, Right back to where you started. You want to do a 180, you turn. And then so as a way to salvation, repentance is that. Now, as the second key of repentance in the work of salvation is the evidence of. It's the evidence of. It's not that you repented one time of your sin, you prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, fill out a card, raised your hand at some revival. It's that you continue to live a life of repentance. If that is absent from your life and you don't have a continued life of repentance, you need to really reconsider your conversion in God's word and continue to hold God's word up to yourself as the ultimate mirror. And I say this out of love for your eternity, because our churches are full of people that have been sitting in churches for years and are as lost as a ball in tall grass still to this day. Understand that 1 John, uh, 1 John, you can write this note down and go back and look, I'm not going to read it, but in 1 John chapter 1, verses 7-9, through we see this evidence. We see the apostle of love telling you that if these are not a reality in your life, he calls you a liar. If you you read 1 John, he says that we have genuine repentance, that we we walk in the light, that we have fellowship with other believers, that we recognize the cleansing of our sin is only by the blood of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, that we have a regular life of admission and confession of sin, and we do so without regret. You see, too many times our salvation is given in the modern day church as a flu shot vaccine. Oh, I done did that and you go on and live your life and nothing's changed with just enough morality to soothe your conscience for the sin that's part of you. And see, friends, that is the danger that we are in today. That's why churches are struggling today, because if they were filled with people that had the vibrant life of Christ in them, truly repenting of their sin, regenerate, born again, we would not we would not have to beg and plead people to come to church. We would not have to beg and plead people to go out and reach the lost. You see that because it's a change inside. It's an evidence of that. But repentance is a continued continued work because, listen, as Christians, we sin. Sadly, we sin. However, we cannot, a true believer cannot stay sitting in that sin unconvicted and, and, and unaffected by it. You can't. Because when you sin, there should be a conviction. There should be a ringing of your heart and your spirit not to run off and to drown that with other sin, but it's to turn back to Christ and, and, and come back to Christ. The, the believer's walk is like a switchback. We see, um, what's, is it Klondike Hill, the big hill I come over? Jeff. Mm-hmm. Okay, you come over that and you see those switchbacks. And that's what your Christian life should look like. Sometimes, and we call that, when, when you come to Christ, you are justified. Before God, when you when you turn, put your faith and trust in Christ, and you become saved, you um, are justified not by yourself or your decision, but you're justified by the works of Christ in the eyes of God. Now, from the time you are justified to the time you take your last breath, that is something we call sanctification. And sanctification sometimes it's three steps forwards and two steps back. But the problem is it's continued gradual forward. So many people today say, "Well, they had so and so's backslidden." My question is, is he ever front slidden? Because the thing is, if I step back and look at, at, at a life, you should see, yeah, like a switchback. Sometimes they two steps back, and, and but it looks like you're going down the road, and I thought I was going up the hill, now I'm going back down the hill. But if you take a look back, you can see a gradual progression that continues to work towards the top, like our life should be a gradual progression and continuing towards Christ. That is called our sanctification. When we take our last breath, and step up before God, that's glorification. So, so so, this is like the example of the fishing glasses, isn't it? The, the, the fake glasses, the ones that are the cheap imitations, they don't do you much good. They soothe your moment of fishing. They soothe the, the sun beating down and they take the, the, the brightness off. But they really don't get to the root of what's, what, what, what you're there for. The polarized ones do. They, they, they get down below the surface. And that's where we see the next kind of grief. It says, whereas worldly grief produces death. So if you want to think of godly grief, the good kind of grief, as the polarized glasses that lets you see beneath the surface, at the root of what you're after, these fake glasses can be thought of as the worldly grief that produces what? Death. And these aren't my words. These are, these are the apostles' words. Worldly grief produces death. Now, what is worldly grief? Many churches today use worldly grief as a cheap substitute because of either cowardness or self-preservation. They will not preach the gospel of Jesus Christ from the pulpit. They will not preach the truth of Scripture. And what we see here is is we see many. We just had a big, big event down in Clarksburg. Uh, down there, the Festival of Life, this, this big event where this silly little evangelist comes in and spends a week down there, a bunch of money. They, they use material things to get people in there. And the problem is, and I, I watched several nights painfully watching these things go on. And the problem is there was a little bit of truth here, a little bit of truth there. But the biggest, most overwhelming thing he sold like a snake oil salesman was worldly grief. Oh, come to Jesus and get your bank account fixed. Come to Jesus and get your health fixed. Come to Jesus and get a better job. Come to Jesus and get a better life. Get a better, get, or get a better house, better job, better better this, better that. It was all worldly temporal things. And there was nothing given from the sincerity of your brokenness before a holy and righteous God and your eternal damnation that will come should you take your last breath without a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. It's sold as easy beliefism and it's worldly grief. They're, they're, they're snake oil salesmen, these people. And, and they give you their best line to make you feel like you receive something of value. Oh, I got goosebumps. I walked out of there and the music was nice and the lights were going. And I got goosebumps. Oh, I, I know it was the Holy Spirit. I know something. And then three days later, you're right back to where you were. Not a bit more, not, not, not a bit saved at all. Not a bit better off than where you were. Because you were sold worldly grief about all the temporal things. Now let me ask you something. There's Some of you um, uh, older saints in here that have been around longer than I, have any of you seen a hearse with a trailer behind it? Oh yeah. Because you know what? And I've said this but uh, many times before. When you die, somebody's going to get all your stuff. And the world's going to continue to go. <coughs> Won't miss a beat. And... If you're in a yard sale around here, my wife will probably find it somewhere and buy it. But nonetheless, nonetheless, worldly grief leads to death. Because you see this, you see this, this, this distraction is what it is. Worldly grief is the distraction. That, 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 that you, you focus and you worry about this and you worry about that. And that's what you're coming to God for. The whole time your soul is rotten as can be because you haven't had it converge. You haven't been converted. You haven't been regenerate. You haven't been born again. You don't have a new relationship with God. You don't have a new relationship. When you have a new relationship with God, guess what? You have a new relationship with sin. And, but you don't get that. You get this distraction. So so, so, so you come in, in this world of grief. It leads to death. It leads to death. And, and, and I'll give you an example of uh, these big outreaches and these big events where they, they sell this worldly grief. You have somebody that comes that knows not Jesus Christ. And they come in and they get the goosebumps and this and that. And they repeat some prayer found nowhere in Scripture uh, called the sinner's prayer. And they go at it and blah, 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 blah. And they're, they, they're feeling good and they walk out. Three weeks later, a month later, whatever, they back over their kid in the driveway. Or their wife comes down with leukemia or something like that. And guess what? Because they were sold a false bill of goods, a false gospel, a worldly grief. Now, because of that, here's where it leads to death. That person is twice the son of hell and calloused over because Jesus wasn't powerful enough. Jesus didn't care. Jesus forgot. And all these other things that come out of their mind. Why? Because they were focused on the distraction. They were focused on worldly grief. That can't save anybody. Worldly grief, again, that Paul tells us, leads to death. Now, this person, you or I come along, we try to explain the gospel of Christ as scripture, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. It leads to death. It leads to death, this, this, this worldly grief. Listen, if you, a very wise, wise man that I listen to a lot, as a preacher, has been influenced on in my life, and he says, if you come to God, for a better family, come to God for a better house, a better car, a better this, a better that. And that's why you come to God. That's idolatry. You come to God to get God. God, Jesus is the gospel. I, 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 wonder, I wonder how many people, if, if you explained all the gold and all these fanciful ideas of heaven and how pleasant it's going to be and how wonderful it's going to be, if they can have all of that all the promises, all the wonderful, and but God wouldn't be there. Would they still want it? I guarantee you, the majority of people would say yes. You come to God to get God. He is enough. He is more than enough. He is more than enough. So why, why does world? I've made quite a claim here. I've made quite a quite a uh, attack on this type of stuff in the church. So why why does it lead to death? Why w- this worldly grief? It, it, what is it about it what how does it differ from godly grief because i can promise you when god starts revealing and peeling back these things in your life you're going to be broken over it you're going to be broken over this sin there may be some somebody you have to go to 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 ask for forgiveness there may be some sin in your life that you have to confess and repent of and and it's going to be hard it's going to be painful at that moment so what's the difference worldly grief the reason why it produces death is because there's no eternal validity to it. There's no eternal substance to it. Uh, worldly grief is human sorrow. Just because you're sorry about something. Or it's remorse without purpose. It's wounded from pride because your sin has been exposed. It's, it's, it, it's you're upset because your lusts haven't been fulfilled. Uh, it's guilt, it's shame, it's despair, depression, self-pity, hopelessness, sin against others because you're looking for relief of what just got exposed. That's worldly grief. That's what you get sold when you're not, when you're not given the gospel of Christ. And that's what Paul says leads to death. And then in verse 11, we continue. It says, what earnestness, what eagerness. In, in verse 11, we're reminded here of the value of godly grief. And I know it sounds kind of countercultural that, that that grief can be good, but it isn't all of Scripture that we may that that, that he, you know, that we, um, we we sacrifice everything to get everything? You see what I mean? Scripture itself, it, it, because it's God's economy is the opposite of the world we live. So we are reminded of the value of godly grief and there's two things we see here. We see um, we see right away that are contrast for a false convert living by worldly grief and a true Christian living by godly grief. We, we can see two things here uh, is earnestness and eagerness because when you come to Christ and are truly regenerate, you truly have been given a new heart, your heart of stone has been taken away or you're born again, there's an unquenchable thirst and a desire and a pursuit for righteousness in your life. Now, that, there may be different levels of that. Not every day you're going to wake up and seek the righteousness and walk out into waste town with the Shekinah glory all over you. Okay, let's just be real. That's not going to happen every day. However, there should be a desire in there. The Christian is, listen, when you when you come to Christ and you are truly born again and you are truly converted, there is no neutrality with this world. There is no neutrality with sin. Not at all. That to that, that truly regenerate, you, you make your repentance known. And so foresee for what eagerness this godly grief has produced in you. The Apostle Paul go, peels back even further this godly grief. And if you look in the scripture there, there's five fruits that are born out of repentance. There are five fruits that are produced by godly grief in relation to your salvation. And the first one we see there, Paul says, is indignation of sin. It's, it's the love of God that, like I said, there's no neutrality, that, that, that there's, there's no right thought of sin, that, that this um, recognition of your sinfulness, okay, your, your, this indignation, this, this, this I am taking, I am not even playing with this, I am not, because you see how holy God is, how perfect he is, and how wretched your sinful life is in comparison to his glories. And, 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 and it sounds harsh because we talk about that I say, well, yeah, I sinned. Well, we all sin. And, and, and that's often said in church gatherings and, and the minister kind of chuckles sometimes. <laughs> you know, we're all sinners. If you're laughing about that, you don't understand sin. Let me give you an illustration. If I would lie to my son, my, my six-year-old, he would get angry with me for a while, but I probably would get in trouble. If I would lie to my wife, I'd probably end up on the couch for, for, for a good while. If I would lie to my boss, I'd get fired. If I would lie to a law enforcement official, I would go to jail. What is the difference in every one of those scenarios I gave you? I committed the same sin. What was the difference? It was who I committed it against. Now, take yourself and your sin every day and compare it against a righteous, holy, perfect creator. The King of King and the Lord of Lords to which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That's who you've sinned against. Like I said, when you come to Christ and you're truly born again, you have a new relationship with sin. And part of this, Paul says, is, and he is actually commending them. He's saying this in a good way, that when you have this godly grief, one of the fruits of your repentance is you're going to have this indignation of sin, this hatred for sin. When you, when you come to Christ uh, as a believer, you, you come to Christ and you, have, you begin to love the things that God loves and you begin to hate the things that God hates. And yes, God does hate because he is love. God hates sin. God is angry with the sinners every day, scripture says. Read Psalm 5, 5. And that'll make your sunny day cloudy. So, so, But when you love the things that God loves, the hate that I'm talking about is, for example, abortion. I love children. I hate abortion. No neutrality there. No neutrality at all for the Christian. I love African Americans. I hate slavery. I love Jews. I hate the Holocaust. See how that works? You have a love for the things that God loves and a hate for that. God is not indifferent. There is no gray area with God. There is no gray area with God. None at all. So there's no neutrality. And you have this hatred for sin. That's the first fruit, indignation. And then Paul says, what fear? This fear in this particular part, it's, it's, it's being of reverence. Uh, the, begin, the, the, the beginning of all wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The Bible says so it's it's reverence it's, it's this fear of, of of knowing sin is around it's a watchfulness it's it's being sensitive to, to those things and, and and it's a distrust of self that you don't trust yourself and you know that you can trust in Christ. So when you see certain situations, you don't put yourself in those situations because you don't trust yourself. If God has saved you out of an addiction for alcohol, you don't trust yourself that you can go with your friends to a bar and sit there and have no problem drinking a beer because you know you come from that addiction. You don't trust yourself. If, if, if you come from a, from a life of, promiscuity or, or of, of, of relationships of, 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 of that pervert the design God has given of man and woman in marriage. And you take other ideas and you have struggled and God has set you free from the sin of, of fornication or free from the sin of homosexuality that, that you don't trust yourself, that you stay away from that and you trust in the Lord, that you flee from evil. Number three, the longing, the fruit of longing, that you you have this desire to be changed, that you want to be closer to God, that 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 you cannot get close enough to God. You see, friends, too many times in churches we're told the gospel is Christianity 101 and then we move on to bigger and deeper things. I'm here to tell you the truth that you'll never get beyond that. The gospel is Christianity A to Z, that you'll spend an eternity of eternities and you'll never get your hands around the foothills of the bottom of the mountain of the gospel of Christ. You won't. It's something every day that we can go. And there's this longing to know God more. There's this longing to, to read his word more. There's this longing to pray more and to draw closer to, 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 to God. And there's this longing. And, and, it, and it's in the sense of the reconciliation we have with God, of, of an appreciation and knowing that we can be made right and stand before God sinless and blameless because of the work of Christ. Number four is the zeal. We see that the zeal, it's, it's a love of God and it's an anger against sin. It's, it's a love of God. It's an anger against sin and it's, it's even should go on beyond that. And then this is the evangelist in me coming out. I, I am an open air street evangelist. I, I go to streets, anywhere there's a crowd, I'm there. Festivals, mountaineer football games, it doesn't matter. I'm there. Now, I'm not one of these hateful kooks you see on TV. We call them jerks for Jesus, is what we call them. You know, with the, uh, you know, God hates insert here and this and that. But at but the same token, listen, you just stand up on a corner, open a Bible, and read the gospel, and you'll get plenty enough heat, trust me. But it's a zeal. It's a zeal that I love God so much, and I care so much for fellow human beings that, that I don't care that they may throw something at me, swing at me, yell at me, holler at me, mock me, whatever. It doesn't matter because I have a zeal for Christ. I have a zeal for the gospel. And these are things that I didn't have beforehand. I, I grew up Roman Catholic saying, oh, yeah, I believe in God. I was just as lost as could be until 2004 when God saved me in the apartment, uh, in, 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 a, in my apartment. So, so uh, you know, this, this zeal, it's something new. It's, it, it's a zeal. And the fifth one is punishment. Paul says, what a punishment here when he talks about God the grief. What punishment, he says, with an exclamation, and and that is a war against sin. Uh, The great John Owen said, either be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And that is something we need to keep in our mind, that sin is not something we we can toy with. When, When you start flirting around a sin that God has delivered you of, you are walking a very fine line. And you need to understand that sin never just affects you, but it affects everyone around you. First of all, primarily, it affects your relationship with God as far as not that you would lose your relationship, but it would affects it in a relationship way as we see in the Psalms. David said, God, against you alone I have sinned. It affects your family and, 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 and so forth in concentric circles. And in the last part of that verse, it says, you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. Innocent, that is to say pure. That is to say clear. That, that, that friends, is how you stand before God only if you've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, friends, when God sent his son 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was sinless, spotless, perfect, born of a virgin. And when he came, he was fully God and fully man. Fully God and fully man. And he lived a perfect life. You know, somebody would ask me, "What's what's the greatest sin you could commit? And I would say, well, maybe an idea would be Breaking the greatest commandment. What is the greatest commandment God has given us? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now I want to put this into perspective for you for a minute. Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law that we cannot, the law that we break every day. He came and fulfilled it. Now that that commandment, think about this for a minute. Jesus kept that commandment, the greatest command, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He kept that commandment for every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year. For 33 years, he was put on the cross. There's no one in this room, myself included, to do that for three seconds. Think about that. Try to clear your mind out and just love the Lord your God truly with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's not one of us in here that can do it for a second. Christ did it perfectly for 33 years, all the while being tempted the way you and I are tempted in every way. And then he went to the cross and on that cross, the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin so that we may become the righteousness of God. Now, what? understand that that doesn't mean Jesus did not become a sinner. Some people teach that. and It's a false doctrine from the pit of hell. Jesus did not become a sinner. What happened was your sin and my sin were laid upon him. And when God looked down at Christ, he treated Christ the way he should treat you and me for breaking his law. And that is his wrath, his full-blown wrath. That is the same amount of wrath that slaughtered and killed all men, women, and children on this earth when God flooded the earth and only saved eight people on the ark. It's the same amount of wrath all at one time God poured out onto Christ because Christ is the only one that could fulfill it. That's what it means to be forsaken. That's why Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane and asked three times for God to let the cup pass. What was in the cup wasn't a Roman, what wasn't the soldiers beating him up and the, the torture, and it was horrendous. But what was in that cup that Christ knew was the wrath of God that he would endure for you and for me, should we put our faith and trust in him. And so God pours that down on him. And on the third day, Christ rose from the dead. And his resurrection, that power, when he arose and later, 40 days later, was seated on the back on the throne, that that symbolizes he defeated death hell and sin forever and the great exchange at the cross is this is that if you put your faith and trust in christ you turn from your sin his righteousness comes upon you he gets the worst of you and you get the best of him kind of doesn't seem fair but that's how much god loves us not that we we merited that not that we deserve that not that god needs any of us But that God, out of his mercy and out of his love, he pulls together his justice and his love and they meet at the cross. And that's how God can be fully just, giving the criminal his due punishment and being fully loving and and loving us at the same time. And that's the cross of Christ. Friends, I'm asking you today, if, if, if you are here and you are truly born again, that this should make your heart joyful. This should make you to the point where you are so thankful that God, knowing your sin, knowing your thoughts, it says uh, the, the Bible says in, 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 that God looks on the inside. It's not that, that, that your profession of faith, just because you say I believe in Jesus, doesn't mean anything. The devils believe. James 2.19 says the demons believe in Jesus. Satan believes in Jesus, and it's not helping him any. But, it's not that you profess Christ with your mouth, but it's that you continue to have this life of repentance. You continue to have this life of confession. You continue, and I'm not teaching work salvation. I'm saying these are things that are brought on. The Bible says that repentance leads to the knowledge of truth. Repentance itself is not something you can do first without God giving it to you as a gift. Repentance is a gift. You don't arrive to it to do it on your own. Paul defeats that, 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 that thought in Ephesians 2 where he says you were dead in your trespasses. Dead people don't walk. Dead people don't talk. Dead people don't cry out to God to save them. Just like Lazarus in the tomb. He didn't say, hey, Jesus, come in here and bring me back to life. Jesus called out to him. And when God calls out and extends that call to you, that is what it makes it so heinous and so bad when people turn away from the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the blood that Christ gave for your sin is being trampled on under the foot. And for the person who turns away from the gospel and ignores the message and tramples that blood, hell cannot be hot enough for you. God holds back his wrath with one hand and the other hand he's calling. He's saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. You poor, you sick, you weary, you heavy laden. My burden is easy, my yoke is light, come to me. And one day, both hands will be dropped. And if you are not on the right side of that, it is going to be an eternal tragedy for your friend. So please consider those words. Consider the thoughts of the gospel. Consider that this godly grief is what will lead you to Salvation. That this godly grief is a good kind of grief. It's a good kind of hurt. It's, it's a good kind of hurt. It's kind of like when you go to the doctor and you have a hurt. And the doctor does an examination an examination. And pretty soon you find out you had cancer or something like that. But they caught it soon enough that, that you could at least get treatment and so forth. It's a good kind of hurt. This godly grief is a good kind of hurt that leads, the Bible says, to repentance and to salvation. Not a worldly grief to the wind with the things of this world that cause us grief. All they do is distract you. Don't let these things distract you. Would you call call on the name of Christ? Call on the name of Christ. Ask God to show you your sin. Ask God to expose these things. Read God's word. Pray. Those are the means we're given to, to expose these things in our lives. And that we turn and we thank God for this godly grief. And we embrace it. Embrace it to further our walk with Christ. Let's pray.